0: Oh, no one ever thinks about the crew below the decks. They're drinking and they're partying and having lots of sex. They cook and clean and serve the rich with a smile all day. But when the richies leave the ship, the yachties get to play. Yo, ho, dilly-yo, yo, yo, yo yo We're heading up the gangplank and going down below. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Gangplank Report. We are reviewing episode 15 of Below Deck Mediterranean. Bravo called it three's a crowd. We
1: decided to call it the wheels are falling off the bus. And to Jen, for your rapid recap. Okay. First off, Katie decides to give Courtney her second stew stripes and insists that it's not because there's only two of them. The guests leave and everyone gets together for the tip meeting. The tip is the baseline 15,000 and during the tip meeting, the deck crew catches criticism from Sandy for the first time. The dark side of Malia rears its head. David catches some feelings about being criticized for taking it easy after being told to take it easy. All of the talk about Matt's unblemished record at the preference sheet meeting makes me wonder if his streak is about to be broken with the high profile guests that are arriving soon. At the vineyard, the group agrees to plan a few days together before they go home. Then there's a conversation about is Lexi a bad human that leads to David sharing more about one of the darkest periods in his life. The next day, everyone seems to be anxious Not sure if their stomachs are churning from hangovers or nerves. Lloyd is off. Or both. (laughs) Good point. Lloyd is off his game and Malia reprimands him, which sets off what looks like a full blown panic attack. The captain takes his blood pressure and decides he needs to go to the hospital. They leave us with that cliffhanger and that's your rapid recap. Awesome.
0: Let's just jump right into Courtney getting her stripes.
1: Mm -hmm. I thought this was a
0: really cute sweet, well-deserved moment.
1: I agree. I think she's improved a lot. I've seen a couple comments that it was out of default. I don't think it was out of default at all. Yes, she's brought it up a couple different times what level she's at, but she's really proven herself, I think, to move up from third to second.
0: Well, really the best way to learn is to be thrown into the deep end and that's exactly what happened. Right. Good point. She's far superseded my expectations for somebody with as little experience as she has. I think she's done a really great job. I had a situation very similar to that happen on a boat that I was on last year. And the girl that was on board, we had to fire, unfortunately, the chief steward that was on board the boat because he was drinking while the guests were there and it was a mess. And like the grandmother found him passed out drunk on the fly bridge one night. Oh, good grief. Yeah. And the girl who was the second stew, who had very little experience, but was really motivated to learn, did an amazing job. And I was super impressed with her. And after that trip, I ended up getting her a job on another boat with a buddy of mine, because she had so impressed me that I wanted to make sure that I got her on a good boat. So very cool. It happens.
1: It does happen. And I think Courtney deserves it. And like they said, later on, when they're all at dinner, Malia brings up that Courtney's kind of the foundation and her brightness and positive attitude really can turn the mood around with everybody on the boat. I like. Well her. deserved. Well deserved. Good job, Coco. Agreed. After Katie promotes Courtney and gives her well-earned praise, we get to see Malia show a little bit of her dark side as far as, and I'm not saying it's completely out of line, she does need to train them and correct them when they're wrong, but it seemed like a big swing very quickly. Did you get that vibe?
0: Maybe there were things here and there that were little bitty screw ups, but it seems like they're pretty consistently screwing things up on this right at this time. And for her to like try to snap everybody back, like don't get comfortable, don't get complacent, you're getting a little lazy. You're not doing the things you already know how to do. It's one thing if she's expecting them to pick up skills that they haven't done before, but she makes the point we're six charters into this. You guys should know the plan by now. Why are we making these silly mistakes?
1: Right. And I felt like it was valid with Lloyd and Z because they had screwed up. I do have to take David's side on this. She told him to ease back. She took him off of mornings because of the confrontation with Sandy about the injury. This is what she's told him to do. And I think she could have focused the criticism more on Lloyd and Z. I'm not a fan of managers who throw everybody in the same boat and don't recognize that this doesn't apply to one person, because if you don't separate that person out, that person's automatically going to assume, okay, I'm included in this and I'm busting hump. It's going to be received wrong.
0: And we see later when they're in the van together and he's like, I don't want to be a downer. I don't want to mess up the vibe. And ends up spilling his beans anyway and saying to Malia, I feel like you've been condescending to me. What would have made more sense is if after that pep talk that she had with the deck crew, if she had pulled David aside and said, look, I felt like it was important to say that so I didn't single anybody out. But I want to let you know that it didn't necessarily all apply to you. So, And
1: that's probably the best of both
0: worlds, really. Right. If she had pulled him aside in a moment of sobriety right after they had had that deck team meeting, that probably would have mitigated some of his mental anguish throughout the rest of the day.
1: Right. I agree. I just don't. I've had meetings like that back when I was working outside the home where I know that I'm giving... 100. I know who the slackers are, and we all get the across the board criticism. And Sandy did it too. I'm not going to say that she didn't kind of lump them all together as the deck crew when she did it in the meeting, but I just found Malia's crew meeting to be. I agree with David. The word is exactly condescending when she was like, And why do you think that is? What is the reason you think that I was tense? Earlier, It was kind of like you're talking to fifth graders and not grown adult men who are working on your boat.
0: Right. And again, I don't think it should have been David's responsibility to mull over that for as long as he had to, especially on their day off, to then bring it up to her later. It should have been addressed much sooner.
1: And I understand why he didn't want to bring it up because he even said that it's too close to the end. He doesn't want to screw up the energy. He didn't feel like he could say it without disrupting the unity that they have. And you can see that this bond, based on what a lot of them have said, and you would know better than any of us, that this is not... Typical that you have a crew that's this supportive and this bonded. I mean, we had the outliers that caused issues being Lexi and swag whiny, but for the most part, this is a very unified.
0: Yeah. And I get why he didn't want to bring it up. But at the same time, if he was going to keep going around and around in his own head about it, it was going to have to come up at some point. Right. So I'm, Uh I'm kind of glad they pushed him a little bit so that he would talk about it because now it's over and done with. And Malia did have the opportunity to somewhat rectify the situation and say, I really wasn't talking about you. I hold you to a higher standard. You're doing a good job. It's a little bit late for me, but if that was effective in quelling his own angst about the situation, then success.
1: Right. Right. Agreed. And then we
0: see Courtney crying. We see Mm -hmm. kind of several breakdowns on a multitude of levels with this crew. I know everybody's tired. You're almost at the end. You can see the finish line. Alcohol clearly doesn't help. But seeing Courtney crying, which I think right before that is when Matt started talking about Lexi again. She's gone. Mm -hmm. Let it go. Right. That made him the center of attention when Lexi was actually there. And I think he's not ready to let go of that attention yet. And that's why he continues to rehash it, even though nobody else wants to talk about it.
1: Right. Everybody wanted to change the subject. And he's very black and white with his criticism of her. Like it either is what he thinks or it isn't. And he really was doubling down on the she's a horrible human being. She's a bad human. And like you said, one, she's gone. Shut up about it already. Two he was not willing to give even an inch on that. Even when he went over with Courtney and she was trying to explain, look, we're all going through things. Nobody deserves to be treated badly. And David even said, look, she may have done some awful things. She may have said some not nice things to me, but she's still a human being. And I think the internet gets a lot like that. You can say pretty much whatever you want. So I really felt good about him putting it back into that perspective and not letting Matt just run roughshod over everybody and say, this is who Alexi is when he's only known her six weeks of her life while she's grieving her dad. So people are too multifaceted to be wedged into a box like that, I think, personally. I don't like
0: the things that she said, and I don't like the things that she did. David is right. He's looking at it from a different perspective, and we kind of see a little bit of that story being told why he's willing to give Lexi a little bit more latitude than we would think because of his own past. Right. So he sees that she's struggling and wants to give her a little bit more latitude because he's been there in some way, shape or form. And they don't really specify exactly what or classify
1: it necessarily. It seemed pretty ominous to me. Right. What they described to me sounded like an implication of possibly a suicide attempt. I don't want to put that on David because maybe that's not specifically what it was. And for as much as I griped last year about Below Deck, Bravo, whatever, the treatment or dismissal basically of mental illness, I do think that they have done a good job of turning that around and showing us different instances, be it with Lloyd or with David or with Courtney, or even grieving with Lexi, see that it's common. It's still stigmatized so much in real life, but it is really common. And like I said, I don't want to put that on David. We don't know, but that seemed to be what they're implying. And I understand why, people would think that, but I was proud of him for sharing that moment. I think the best way to help other people through it is by sharing your stories personally.
0: Agreed. And I asked you before we started this podcast about what we saw with Lloyd, because I personally Uh have never had an anxiety attack or a panic attack. I think I understand some of the symptomology, but I pretty well asked you directly, are the symptoms that he had indicative of one of those types of attacks? I don't actually know. Are they synonyms? Are panic attacks and anxiety attacks the same? Is there a
1: differentiation of some kind? Yeah. In my use of them, they're interchangeable. A panic attack, an anxiety attack, it's all for me because it is an individual experience. For me, what triggers them is when I get too wrapped up in the emotion of things that are pending, either currently happening or coming up to where the hamster wheel doesn't stop turning. And it just generates a lot of anxiety, and stress. And all of those things that he was experiencing do correlate with a panic attack. I can't diagnose him, not a doctor. I just know from my personal experience, chest pains, shortness of breath, nausea, possibly to the point of vomiting, elevated blood pressure, elevated pulse, sweating, all of those things can be correlated. I've experienced them all. Well, and you you told me that
0: it's possible for it to be fatal, that it can be so severe that it's fatal.
1: It can. And I've experienced that in my own life with my friend. It's happened personally to one of my friends where she had a panic attack that triggered cardiac arrest and it was fatal. So this is serious and people tend to minimize it, trivialize it, I think, because I don't know what the because is on that. I guess I shouldn't have used that word. I don't know why people do that. I don't know if it's because if you don't experience it, you think they can just get out of their head, but anxiety and stress causes real physical reactions in your body. You may not think that what people are stressing about or anxious about is worth getting ginned up about. And I can understand that from an outsider's perspective, but it's not generally a choice. There's a lot of times there's a chemical imbalance going on. Sometimes it's just a lack of coping mechanisms. Sometimes your cortisol levels from stress or from exhaustion are just too high and you can't really control it. We're not robots. It's not like we've got a little meter where we can adjust okay, I'm only going to be this stressed about something. Life doesn't happen like that. So this can be very serious. I did look up the blood pressure range that he was in. He was 147 over 87 and 147 is stage two hypertension. So that is high. It is elevated. Anything under 120 is normal. So his systolic was up there. His diastolic wasn't that far up there below 80 is normal. And he was at 87, but they kind of take him in conjunction And in, in this, it's a better safe than sorry scenario.
0: For sure. No, I think sending him to the hospital was the right move.
1: Right. I agree. Because if nothing else, since we've learned that they're not allowed to be medicated on the boat. He might get some time away and get time to collect himself and get some medications given to him there that he can take and come back to dead center. I don't know that he has, I know he said that he's had issues with this because of his experience on the last boat. I don't know that he's diagnosed as having anxiety and there is a difference. People can be anxious without suffering from clinical anxiety. I don't know where he falls on that spectrum. Gotcha.
0: Well, thank you for taking the time to explain that to me.
1: Not a problem at all. That's the benefit of having a co-host that has mental health issues. (laughs) I can break it down into layman's terms because really I'm just learning it. I've only been diagnosed in the past three years. So some of this is all new to me. So there's still things that I research, but I do know that he's definitely experiencing something that I've had when it comes to anxiety attacks and they do have a lot going on. I don't know from your real life experience of it. When it gets to the end of the trip, is this normal that everybody's brain is focused more on the future and not what's going on in the moment?
0: It depends. It depends on you if you're a freelance crew member or a permanent crew member. I mean, if you're a permanent crew member, you don't have to think 10 steps ahead of where you are right now. That's a good point. So it makes sense to me that he's starting to get anxious about what has a potential to be coming up for him. I'm sure that mm-hmm. filming is probably not helping any kind of stress or anxiety for any of them and it's coming to an end. So now is the time to start thinking about what you've got going on next. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a freelance crew member and I constantly have my phone on me waiting for the next call to see what boat I'm going to be on next and wondering if it's going to be as enjoyable of a situation or a better situation, depending on the case than what I'm in currently. So I get it. I understand.
1: Well, that's where they left us off this week. So we have that little bit of a cliffhanger. The new guests coming on, I actually recognized several of them. I was surprised. I'm not hugely into politics or sports, but I knew the names. I knew some of the faces. So I'll be interested to see how this all pans out, whether or not they're going to be laid back, whether this is going to be where we're going to see that a third stew would have been super helpful. It kind of feels like they're setting up. Lots of things. Yeah, it does. They talked about it a lot. And like I said in the rapid recap, even in the preference sheet meeting, there was a lot of talk about Matt never having a plate returned. And I don't know if that was foreshadowing to tie in. Yeah. Is it to tie in with Sandy not approving of the dark meat and the fish? Or is it foreshadowing, like you said, for Look, the streak's about to be broken and plates are going to be returned. You just never know. We do have a question this week. Actually, it's three questions and they are all for you. This is from Georgie in the UK. Hi, Georgie. Hi, Georgie. The first question is, we see the chief stew, bosun, and chef given the next charter's preference sheets the day before arrival. In real life, how far in advance do you get to see the preference sheets before guests arrive?
0: If I'm really lucky, I get them a couple of weeks in advance so we can start a dialogue about what they want. Sometimes I don't get them at all, so I just have to wait. Wow. But for the most part, you get them at least a couple of weeks in advance. So what happens here is that the provisions are already ordered, whether it's mm-hmm from Matt or production doing it. I think it's a little bit of both because he can't possibly call somebody and say, I need today, this, this, and this. I mean, you can, there are some ports that are busy enough where you can pull that off, Oftentimes, not so much. They need at least a day lead time. So my guess would be what happened with our trip. I mean, I spent a majority of the six weeks on my trip doing nothing but planning ahead and calling and going through lists and going through all of their preference sheets and ordering things in advance. That's what Ben and I did on our days off when we weren't playing with the rest of the crew. Right. It was left up to us to do that, and I think they realized that that was a little bit overwhelming, all things considered, because normally your trips are a week long, and then you've got the week to plan for the next week. That's not what happens here because the turnaround is so quick. So I think the production handles some of that, but they should, in theory, be getting the preference sheets well in advance of the guests showing up. And if the guests are sitting in quarantine for a week or two prior to the trip, they've got plenty of time to do their homework
1: and write down what they like. Right. And I would think, too, that being a production based vacation that they probably even get more advanced notice with some of the guests than you all do in real life, because nobody's planning a last minute Bravo vacation because everybody's got to go through the casting process. Well, not only that,
0: but they also production also has to have some of their preferences available for them in the villa that they're staying in for the week prior to them filming.
1: True. Gotcha. Okay, the second question is referencing season one airing again recently here in the States. And (laughs) the question is, have you had to deal with awful comments and direct messages from so-called fans? How do you cope with any hate that comes your way, even though you've not been on below deck for eight years? It's actually been closer to 10 now, I think, right? Seeing what has been directed recently at the likes of Lloyd, Katie, Courtney, Danny, Allie, et cetera, via Instagram is absolutely disgusting. Reality TV seems to open you up to all sorts of horrible trolling.
0: So this is a tough one for me because I still very much engage, not just our live tweeting on Monday nights, but intermittently to kind of gauge the temperature of where the fan base sits. I do a lot of snooping through the Below Deck Reddit page and I find it really awful that so many people like to do what's the worst crew you could ever put together kind of thing or who is the worst chief do. Look, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that I was the best chief stew the show has ever seen. I know that is the first and only time I've ever done the job. It was hard. I didn't have a lot to work with. I didn't have a lot of support either. And the production team didn't really know what they were doing. It took me a long time to not take the things that I saw about myself on social media personally. I realize now that all people are seeing is six and a half weeks 42 minutes a week of the most stressful situation of my entire life. And I guarantee you that if the most stressful situation of your entire life, short or prolonged, was videoed and then broadcast to the world, that you wouldn't be excited about everything you saw about yourself either. It's given me an opportunity for personal reflection, and I appreciate that. And I definitely modified some things about my leadership and my behavior since then, At the same time, this is all brand new to the crew that we're watching on this television, with the exception of a couple who have been there before. And Bravo itself doesn't give you, maybe they do now, but they most certainly did not when I was filming, give you the tools with which to cope with that. I was getting death threats, actual death threats, people threatening my family, people threatening me personally on every social media platform that existed then. And it was really difficult because I know that that's not all of who I am. It's just what they chose to show. And that's why I am a little bit more thoughtful about the things that I say when I'm interacting and talking about the cast that's on currently, because I've been there. And I will say this directly to the Below Deck Reddit group, cut that shit out. It's not productive. It just is self-serving and it's nasty behavior. And nobody needs to know who the worst of crew that you could possibly put together that's a nightmare would be. Just get over it. Talk about, you know, judge people for their actions and their words, but to unnecessarily bully people via social media, I I just don't understand it.
1: Right. Right. And that happened. That exact question was just on one of the Facebook groups as well. And I popped on to kind of defend your honor. And I'm like, trivia time here. Adrian was never a chief stew before below deck and she's not a chief stew now. She's a chef and always has been. And I just felt the need to come to your defense. My problem here is I can be very abrasive and I've been that way with Malia. I've been that way with Captain Sandy. I've been that way this season with Matt. I can be, I'm snarky. I still think there's a line when you take it to the level of death threats, when you take it to the level of criticizing appearances, I don't understand that you can evaluate and say, Hey, I think Matt's being a little needy this episode, but I don't want to say this person is unattractive or like you said, is the worst whatever ever in the history I don't see a need for it. There are other things to talk about. That's part of why we wanted to do this podcast was to do a more positive spin on things and get away from the personal attacks based on looks and things like that and just evaluate performance. So I'm with you. I know that I'm guilty of it. I can't say that I'm not, especially when it comes to housewives. Not as much with below deck, but I can be really harsh with housewives. So hopefully people get a grip. I'm glad that you have developed rhino skin and are able to let a lot of it water off a duck's back. But at the same time, I wish you didn't have to go through it every time the freaking season airs and you've been through it a lot. I mean, they air your season quite a bit and we talk about it when it comes up, when the comments start getting super nasty. I send you screenshots of stuff people send me. Yeah. It's frustrating as your friend to see the awful things that you still get a decade later for something that was six weeks out of your life. And the other thing we have to take into consideration too Most of the crew that we see on the show is in their 20s. That's like your learning phase. These aren't people who've had time to have life experience and have a ton of introspection to develop into their best selves. This is the trial and error phase, and we do need to give a little bit of grace, I think. I agree. Okay, last and final question. The crew are told on below deck that they can't drink during charter and they can only drink on their time off. This seems reasonable as the charters on below deck are no longer than five days. However, I'm assuming in real life, charters can last two weeks, four weeks or longer if it's a private boat. How do the crew let off steam then and do they have any time off? Surely they can't work six weeks or longer with no time off or do they?
0: Oh, Georgie, they do. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my longest trip was three and a half months straight. And we talked to Tamara on one of our super fan episodes a couple of weeks ago. And she said the same thing. Hers was also exactly that long. And when you're in season, if you're a busy charter boat that also has owners that want to use the boat, sometimes you have less than 24 hours to turn the boat around. And that means no time off and you don't have a production team that's telling you to go out, encouraging you to go out so that you're brutally hung over the next day. Usually when I'm on charter, I barely, if ever, drink because you've got to stay focused. And especially if you've got a long stint ahead of you with a lot of turnover, you have to stay as sharp as possible. So some of my trips are a week long and we celebrate when it's over. Some of my trips are three and a half months long and you need to just keep your mind in the game because it's hard enough as it is to go through it. It's worse if you're off your game and drinking excessively can do that. And I want to say that it's not like we haven't seen people abuse alcohol on this show. We see that consistently every season. I feel like this crew in particular seems like they lean on that a lot more than we have seen in the past consistently. Right. And it's a little bit hard to watch. Like, I love you, Mitzi, but might be a good idea to cut back a little.
1: Oh, Z? Yeah, I agree with you. I think there was a shot of him in the episode in the van coming back where he barely had his eyes open and he was glassy eyed and looked really out of it. And- I agree. There've been several crew members in the past who I hope get it out of their system because it's one thing to let off steam. It's another to go to excess every swing and time that you go out. Right. There's way more to life than that. But thank you so much, Georgie, for sending in questions. If you would like to have your questions answered by Adrian, please send us an email at gangplankreport@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Also, please, please, pretty please, rate subscribe and review us on apple that helps us get the word out about it we are doing great it is all because of you guys we thank you so much and appreciate it and we will catch you next time for the super fan interview thanks bye bye special thanks to our friends who helped us create gang report down below music and lyrics by angel tweeter frail and terry abbott performed by laurel isle florida Production assistance by Michael Castaneda. Super fan intro by Blind Lawrence. Cast off me hearties.